0: Alright, I hope you guys have been praying for my voice, because I will need God's grace to speak (laughs) clearly today. Um, If you would like to turn in your Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, this will be our our, uh, Christmas text this week. We've been doing a, a short Christmas series called Christmas Guest List, and this was uh, meant to help us prepare for, for who it is we're celebrating having come that first Christmas, right? Help us to prepare our hearts. And so we're looking at different uh, biblical titles that were given to Jesus to see who this guest was that came that first Christmas. And And again, this helps us because this world wants to inundate us with distractions, things that literally pull us away from God. Not, not everything, but uh, many things in this world, even in the Christmas season, pull us away from God. So I'm hoping we can use this guest list of who came that first Christmas to draw us back, to prepare our hearts for true worship, uh, both now and on Christmas Day. And even to prepare us, you know, once again for, for giving Him gifts, offering Him gifts, I think of uh, Romans chapter 12, where it says, you know, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable uh, to God. This is your, your pleasing act of worship. Th- this, is, this is what I'm talking about when I say give him gifts. I, I don't, I don't uh, mean, mean much else. I don't mean you can earn your salvation. I mean, you, you so fully enjoy God, so fully enjoy serving him because you see who he is that you want to live for him and sacrifice what you might call your, your former life for him. Well, last week, I apologize for my cracking. It's just going to keep happening. Last week, I'm used to having inflection in my voice, <laughs> so I'm going to have to talk monotone, I guess, the whole time. <clears throat> last week, we looked at the this, this first uh, facet of our Christmas guest list, and that was the seed or the offspring of Abram. You guys remember that? Because we've been going through... Uh, Abraham's life, Abram's life in Genesis, and so I thought it was fitting for us uh, to see that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises given to Abram, especially that all the families, all the, the nations of the world would be blessed through Abram, specifically through this seed, this offspring, Jesus. And the way that this, this offspring blessed them was that he, he took care of our ultimate problem, that is our, our separation from God, our unrighteousness because of sin. And Jesus gives us that righteousness. This, this offspring gives us this blessed righteousness. <clears throat> and we saw that in addition to that, the, the incarnation leading to the crucifixion, leading to the resurrection, not only purchased the promises given to Abram, But all of the promises given in the Bible either were fulfilled in Jesus at that time or will be fulfilled uh, because of what Jesus has already done. And that is what we saw in the seed of Abram. And I think that's a pretty wonderful guest. It's a pretty wonderful guest that we can prepare our hearts to worship and celebrate. But this week... We're moving from sort of the historical side of, of who Jesus was and, and uh, you know, m- moving from family lineage and things like that, and we're going to look at a more abstract understanding of who Jesus is, a metaphorical understanding of who Jesus is, who this guest is, and that is, you might see it in your, your outline there, <clears throat> is Jesus is the light. The Bible tells us that he is the light. He's the offspring of Abram. He's the seed of Abram, fulfilling those promises and, and, and guaranteeing the, the future promises, but he has also the light that was coming into the world that first Christmas. So let's read about it from John chapter 1. I'm going to do verses 1 through 18, and I want you to note uh, the times that the word light is used, but also try to get, you know, the big picture of what's going on here. This is a strange Christmas text. I get that. There's no A manger or star or anything like that, but it is talking about the entrance, the incarnation of Jesus. And it goes on to talk more um, about what he did and and, um, even the offer of salvation, but it it is uh, talking about the the, the coming of Christ. This is the, the prologue to the book of John. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, God whose name was John. It's talking about John the Baptist, not John the author of this book. <clears throat> there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light this was he this was he of whom I said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For it for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. That is our text for. For today. Let's pray. Father God, give us minds to understand what it is for Jesus to be the light of the world. Lord, there should be nothing more astounding to us than the reality of of the incarnation of God the Son. God, please help us this year not to miss it. Not to miss the the splendor of what happened. God, I think about the angels that you sent. They they came proclaiming good news of great joy, but some of us don't know what to be happy about. So God, teach us today as we see Jesus, the light of the world. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Well, so the question is, what does the Bible mean when it says that Jesus is the light? I I have in my notes capital the light, capital L, light, you know, capital the light. What does it mean when, when the Bible calls Jesus the light? And why is this even a good thing, you know? Uh, why is this something that we would want to celebrate that the light was coming in to the world? This is, a, uh, uh, in my opinion, a notoriously notoriously difficult thing to uh, describe and define exactly what it is <clears throat> for Jesus to be the light. Part of the reason for that is most likely because there are so many facets, so many aspects of what it is um, for Jesus to be the light. I, I have a, a good friend that I was talking to him, this is probably several years ago, he was telling me his, uh, his testimony, and he had uh, rebelled against God for, for quite a while in his life growing up, you know, through adolescence or whatever you want to call it, and, and on, on into his uh, early 20s, I believe, <clears throat> and he said God started working in his life powerfully, and he started reading the Bible, and the thing that struck him most, the thing that was kind of finally decisive for him, was when he saw that Jesus was the light. And I remember hearing that and just being like, well, that's interesting. And, I, and I, so I asked him, I said, uh, so what, what did that mean to you? Like, what, what does that mean for Jesus to be the light? And then, and why, why did that have such a strong impact on you? And I remember kind of the look on his face. He's, he's a super smart, super intelligent guy. And he's just like, well, you know, he's, he's the light, he, he's, he's the light of the world. And I'm just like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, well, Jeff, he, he's the light. And he, he couldn't really tell me what it was uh, for, for, for this light to be coming in the world. But I, I'm not saying he didn't know and that it didn't really have that impact on him. I'm just telling you, it is a difficult thing to to put in a box and categorize and, and describe. Uh, I'm sure if I were to talk to him about it more, we could, we could go through it and iron it out. I wasn't going to embarrass him at that moment because we weren't alone. You know, so I just kind of let it go. Cool, he's the light. I like it. I'm glad that meant something to him. And the truth is, today, <clears throat> even from what we have here in John chapter 1, I am only going to hit a teeny fraction of what it is for Jesus to be the light. I originally had a sermon breaking down all these different aspects of what it is for Jesus to be the light, and not only did it end up being a crazy long sermon, but it had very little to do with Christmas um, or anything like that. Um, it got, got more into to the later work of, of Christ and The work of the Spirit. And and there are many amazing things. I would love to go through this, you know, more fully. But what I want to draw out for us today, okay, I'm just going to give you the big picture up front, is I want to look especially at uh, verse 14 and how Jesus, as the light, shines the glory of God into this world in a way that had never before uh, been seen or experienced in this world. We see there in in verse 14 it says in the word that's talking about god the son the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth and that's that's what i want to look at today is that when jesus entered this world he manifests the glory of god in a way that had never before been seen. And the ramifications of that manifestation of glory are still felt by us today. <clears throat> and so that's what I want to look at. Just going a little, uh, l- little deeper here on what I'm talking about. Uh, all throughout the Bible, God's glory has been shown in many different ways, many different forms. Um, you can e- even think about just through creation. From the very beginning, the, the Bible, um, it, it tells us, that, that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? That's Psalm uh, 19, verse 1. <clears throat> the sky above proclaims his handiwork. There's this glory. Uh, Romans chapter 1 says that the attributes of God have been clearly seen through the creation. You know, um, the, the, these attributes of his, his glory, his power, his goodness have been seen in creation. That's one way God's glory has been shown, but I will tell you that's, that's not a very clear picture, yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, this, this is a, a, a clear enough picture in some ways. In other ways, it's, 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 I want more. I want more. I don't just want to, uh, I guess a good way of wording it would be is if you saw a painting, you might learn something about the artist through the painting. You might, you might learn something about their attitude and characteristics by what they painted, right? If someone painted a skull or something, you know, you might think, okay, well, they, they might have this type of attitude. If they paint a, a rainbow and a sunshine, you know, they have this kind of attitude. But it's not like seeing the real thing just to see the painting, right? You, you see a glimpse into it. You see a mark, but not the full thing. Later in the Bible, uh, we see the glory of God appear in many different ways. Uh, you, you can think about, um, you know, the, the, the pillar of fire by night uh, that led out the, the Israelites. You can think of Mount Sinai that's covered in clouds and lightning and fire, that, that glory of God. You can think about when the temple uh, was built, uh, the, the glory of God entering and later leaving after um, Israel did not follow his, uh, the, the law that was given to Moses. You can think about even before that, uh, again with Moses, um, right? The the glory of God passed by him. God covers him as he he passes by. He's in the cleft, a crack in the rock, and and God takes his hand away just as he's passing by to see the back. The dude comes back glowing uh, because of the glory of God. His his face is, is glowing, but it still wasn't seeing the fullness of God's glory. We can see God's glory just, again, in so many different ways throughout, throughout the scriptures, <clears throat> but it was not until the incarnation of God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ that we've seen the fullness of God's glory, uh, at least in a sense, a much more full um, <clears throat> display of this glory. The Bible tells us in, in a couple places about this. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we come to salvation, what we are actually seeing is this, the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Because right, if, if, if Jesus isn't in the picture, then, then we don't even have salvation. We need to see the glory of God in Christ Jesus to even have salvation in the first place. God shines that light in our hearts. We recognize the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that, that's that, that light coming on in us. Hebrews 1.3 says of Jesus, excuse me, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. This, this is a big deal. This is incredible that this light that was coming into the world was a manifestation of of the glory of God, so the question is: How did He do this? How did He reveal God's glory more brightly, more more magnificently, with with greater uh, magnitude than had been revealed before? <clears throat> well, again, we're just kind of have to jump around a little bit in John. Hopefully, hopefully we'll we'll see it. Um, but the first point I want to give you is that Jesus shows the glory of God in a picture of what true godliness is. I know that's not a very concise point. I, I, I don't know. He shows true godliness. That's the, showing the glory of God by showing true godliness. See, the faith that God loves, the faith that God uh, accepts even and is pleased by is far more than a show. It's far more than a show. You can think about the times in the prophets where God's, God says, look, guys, you need to quit making sacrifices because you're just, you're just spilling blood at this point because your heart is not even in it. You're just doing a show. And God was not pleased with that type of, quote-unquote, godliness, that they would make these sacrifices. And you can remember even uh, in, in the day that Jesus came into this world, when God the Son came into the world as Jesus the the type of religious hierarchy that existed in that day, right? You think of the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. You had these religious elite. And as we we look through the Gospels, the way Jesus responds to them, we see very quickly that he is not impressed by their self-righteousness. I'm not saying that that all of the people in, in these groups were, were self-righteous and, and trusted in themselves rather than God. But that's that's the picture that we get in the Bible is that the large majority of the religious leaders of the day, the religious elite, were self-righteous, self-serving. And so they, they would teach people, but they, they did it only to receive glory from men, the Bible tells us. They, they would follow all these rules. They would follow the law, but they only did it Uh, for outward appearance they only did it to say yes i have done it i have kept god's law i've kept it to the t but listen to what john uh, chapter one that we're in right now verse 16 through 17 says so verse 16 and 17 look look at that for from his fullness from jesus fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. But I guess the the main thing I'm pointing out there is verse 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses. What's that talking about? That's talking about the the Sinai covenant, the the law that God gave. You think of that? the Ten Commandments were kind of a a heading for it, but there was so many details of, of how these people were supposed to live Uh, lives the way God wanted them to but even that was meant to be done from a heart that trusted God even that was to be done from a heart that recognized that these sacrifices that that all these things were pointing to something and someone greater namely Jesus Christ it was supposed to be done still from a heart of dependence it says the law was given through Moses but that law if it was done apart from faith in the future grace of God, faith in what God was going to do in Jesus, was useless. And that's what the Pharisees were following. That's what the scribes and the Sadducees were following. They were just following this law. They were doing these vain outward actions. You think about all the different times um, in the Bible that, that uh, the, these people, these religious elites, would see Jesus speaking to a sinner, speaking to a, a lowly person, a leper, right? These people that were outcasts from society, and they say, how could he do that? That's against the law. And you can see that they missed the whole point of the law. They, they, they missed the heart of the law. They were following these rules, but without the love and the heart that should be in it. So Jesus revealed that. By, by his glory, he reveals how this is not true religion to be this way, to be uh, pompous, to, to, to be, um, uh, you know, to be a jerk because you um, supposedly are following God. That is not the point. And then all through these gospels, right? This, this man is walking around and we see how he is attracted to the lowly. He's attracted to the, the humble, uh, the, 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 those who are in great need. He's attracted to the children who can give him nothing. These are the ones who understood their great need for God. They had no righteousness of their own. They had no presupposition that they could earn God's favor. They found themselves only needy. And Jesus shows us in the Gospels, yes, that is actually godliness. To recognize you are needy. That God can fulfill something that you need rather than to say, I can fulfill this need. That was true godliness. You even think about uh, not everyone he talked to was uh, lowly or or a leper or anything, but he was drawn to, or or whatever you want to say, he commended those who were meek, meek. Uh, That is, meekness is having strength, but rather than using it for your own good, using it for your own glory, Using it to serve people. Jesus is drawn to those types of people. He shows us true godliness in the way that he interacts with others. Not only that, but we see true godliness because we have an example of godliness, right? We have this example of godliness in Jesus. He was a man who did obey the law. He did. He did obey the law of God, but he did it from heart of, of obedience to God, love to God rather than uh self-righteousness, which is kind of weird to talk about with Jesus, but um, so it gets a little complicated there, <clears throat> but we do. We see this example of godliness. We see this example of, of love and kindness and gentleness, this peacemaker that came into the world, yet this one who was willing to stand up for truth when the time accorded. Think of him flipping tables. <laughs> that would have been an interesting one to see, but we, we might wonder, what is true godliness? What is true godliness? We need look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. What true godliness is. We look at his life, his example, and we see godliness. The next thing that we see in Jesus, this, the way that he shows the glory of God, is that he shows the character of of God. This is somewhat tied to what I just talked about, but he shows the character of God. He shows this, um, I would say, mainly in the love, humility, and justice of God. <clears throat> Hopefully I can hit all these a little bit. Um, the love, humility, and, and justice of God. How did God demonstrate his own love for us? Anyone know how that verse goes? Romans 5.8? God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see the love of God in the incarnation of God. He took on flesh literally so that he could go to the cross. Jesus said, I came not to be served, right? But to serve and to give my life or the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, for many, this, this was Jesus. This is the character of God. Again, in the, in the Old Testament, we, we do see the mercy and tenderness of God. But here in Jesus, we see this amazing mercy. We see this amazing condescension, this amazing love. And He does this even in humility. I need to be really careful when I talk about the humility. Of God, uh, because God has no reason to be humble, <laughs> we have every reason to be humble, but that's kind of the point. He had no reason to be humble, yet he condescended he He, he came down to us, and in that we see His love, right We see in uh, verse nine of John chapter one, our, our text <clears throat> it says, "The true light which gives light to everyone." was coming into the world. It says in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him. We saw that in in the, the first verses. It says, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. This is God coming into the world. This is incredible. This is the creator coming into his creation. And I would even mention the creation that had been uh, uh, put under a curse because of the sin of man. He came into the world. He took on this flesh, of course, uh, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This this is amazing. The the one who has no need of humility takes humility on himself. And you even think about the... uh, the way that Jesus came into the world. This is God, this is the the, the king of the universe, the ruler creator of the universe coming into the world. And how did he come into this world? This kind of, you know, draws us back to the little Christmas stories, the nativities, you know, all these things. Who was Jesus' mother, Uh, right? We can start there. Who who was it that the angel came to and said, you're gonna have a son and his name will be Jesus because he will uh, be, be the savior. She, she was no one special. Mary was not uh, of some, you know, rich or royal uh, uh, family or anything like that. She was a young, poor girl. Where was he born? Well, you think about it, he was born in Bethlehem. But, you know, in Bethlehem, he was born in a manger, right? He, he's born in this area where, where the animals live, and he's laid in a feeding trough, and he's, he's wrapped just in these swaddling cloths. This, this, is, this is no, no splendor here. Where, where did he grow up? Well, he grew up in Galilee. Do you remember, my brain is, is leaving me right now, but one of the people who ends up becoming an apostle or a disciple, <clears throat> when he's first told about Jesus, told about the Messiah, uh, he's told, well, he comes from uh, Galilee, and he says, nothing good comes out of Galilee. What, what, what good, you know, comes out of Galilee? This is, this is not a, a great place. And then you think about his job. He's a carpenter, and he was a teacher at some level. He's called rabbi, but but he's this carpenter, this lowly profession. Jesus, again, God, the creator of the universe, came into this world not with, with pomp and not with f- fanfare, but he came as a servant. You think of uh, Isaiah chapter fifty three verse two says this of him. <clears throat> He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus, when he came into this world, was not chasing some, some, some vain praise of men that they would see, oh, look how regal and great he is. No, he was bringing true glory into this world. And that really comes, again, from, from who, who God is at the heart It didn't matter that he he didn't look like a king. He didn't have this form or majesty or this beauty. He just looked like a guy. He just looked like a a normal guy. We think of, uh, again, Philippians chapter 2 kind of goes through this, uh, what Jesus did as well. 2 verses 3 through 7 says, he's speaking uh, to, to us, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That, that, that mind of humility, that, that's what Jesus has. You, you should have that as well. Who, it says, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus did not stop becoming or the son of God the son did not stop bec- being God when he became a man. It says he emptied himself not of being God, but it says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He took on the weight of humanity, the weight of being human, uh, I guess you could say as a servant. Again, he, he came into this world with no, with no outward beauty to, to recognize just these, these vain uh, praises from men. And you know what? The vast majority of people, that this glory of God comes into the world, showing the heart of God, and the vast majority of people rejected him because he did not come with outward glory, outward glory fanfare, and strength. You look at verse 11 of John chapter 1. <clears throat> verse 11, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. His own people did not receive him. That's talking uh, really about the Jews, the people of Israel. He came to his own, right? He's born um, in in the Jewish nation. That was the promise given to Abram. <clears throat> he came to his own, and his own people did not receive Him. This is this is a pretty crazy thing. You say, well, how does that show the glory of God that these people rejected Him? Sure, we get to see the heart of God and His love for us sinners by coming into this world, but but people didn't even receive Him. Well, I'll tell you another way that Jesus shows the glory of God. And it is in the sovereign providence of God. Sorry if you're writing those down. Those are big words. (laughs) The sovereign providence of God. Jesus really could have come glowing like the angels. He really could have come in robes and wearing a crown. He really could have come in these ways. But he came into this world taking on the form of a servant because he was going to use the sinfulness of men for his purposes and for his glory. I mean, you think about it. Why did the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes reject Jesus? I mean, they, they wanted a king. They wanted a ruler right there. They're under Rome right now. Jesus comes in, king of the Jews, you know, and yet they crucify him. Why? <clears throat> Well, they did not like that th- this guy that they were supposed to follow, this guy saying, follow me, was a lowly man who had no form or majesty or beauty about him. They didn't like that he was taking on the form of a servant. They did not like that. They wanted a guy who was going to lead them into glory right then, right there. They wanted a, a guy that was going to give them a name, a guy who was going to give them, uh, you know, accolades, accolades. That's what they wanted. They didn't like his lowliness. They didn't want to follow that. And so they killed him for it. But it was all a part of God's plan. <clears throat> Philippians 2, we wrote just, read just a moment ago, talking about he uh, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And it goes on to say, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is obedience that we see, his death on the cross. It, it wasn't that, that he, he became the, the victim of, of this, this murder on the cross, although he was a victim, but it says there was, it was actually obedience. He was headed to the cross on purpose. He knew what he was doing. I think that probably uh, one of the best biblical... Um, outlines of this theology is in Acts chapter 4. This is a prayer of uh, the disciples. They've been uh, beaten and and, uh, uh, told not to speak about Jesus anymore, and so they come together and they pray, and it, it says this, they lifted their voices together to God and said, so here's their prayer to God, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves in the, ru- yeah, set themselves and the rulers were gathered against, uh, gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, that's quoting Psalm chapter two, that this was going to happen. <clears throat> uh, verse 27, for truly in this city, Talking about Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. So gathered together against your servant were Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. These people really were against Jesus. They, this wasn't a fake crucifixion. These weren't fake beatings. Their hearts really were against him. The light came into the world and the people hated the light because their deeds were evil. They, they hated him. And so they crucify him. But we see here that all they were really doing was what God's hand and plan had predestined to take place. And you even think of Isaiah 53, where I quoted earlier that he had no form or majesty or beauty. That goes on to talk about how, how Jesus takes on our afflictions, takes on our sins. And he does that on the cross, we now recognize. God had this sovereign plan. God had a sovereign plan to show his glory and he does it in this salvation, in this justice that he shows. I'm going to read for you uh, Ephesians 1. Three times we see how this plan of God, this love of God being shown, this this even condescension of God and salvation of people leads to God's glory. I'm going to start in verse 3, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, this this great love, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Here we go. To the praise of his glorious grace. To to the praise of his glorious grace. He, He did these things. He showed this love. He had this plan. Why? So that his glorious grace would be praised. to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. <clears throat> in him we have a- obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were f- the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I hope you're seeing this wor- these words over and over. Th- it's the purpose of his will, his grace, and then we see the praise of his glory. It says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Jesus could have come. God the Son could have come, taken on any form. He did bring glory, the light of God's glory into this world but not in the way that people wanted. It wasn't these shallow ways of beauty and and splendor and and, and majesty of of clothing and uh, strength in a a leadership sense. No, he came in humility. He came in love. He came in kindness and mercy as a servant to show that God was, wants to serve us so that we can enjoy him and he even shows I I told you this he even shows his justice there he even shows his justice there on the cross that yes you have sinned against God yes you have sinned against this glorious God who really does deserve all of your worship really does deserve all of your obedience but you know what I'll pay for those sins in my son who came as Jesus Christ. Justice was served. Your sins were paid for in Jesus Christ. And that shows the glory of God that that sinning against him, turning against him, rebelling against him must be punished. There is justice in that. But we see the love of God, the mercy of God in that he pays for that that, that wrath. He pays for that sin that we had committed. We see the character of God. We see the sovereignty and providence of God. We see the justice of God. All of this shows us his glory. And there's one final thing that Jesus did I want to finish with today. One way that he Brought his glory into this world. The glory of God is that to those who trust Him, He gives us that light, and He makes us to reflect that light. <clears throat> this is not a light of our own. This is a light given to us. And again, we're not talking about actually shining. We're talking about this spiritual light, this spiritual life. Uh, John chapter one verse twelve. Our passage, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So that children of God is what I want to focus on for just a moment. That means a lot of things, and I can't go down every single road. One thing is we, we become heirs of God, right? We're, we're a part of his family. We get that inheritance. <clears throat> but another way, another sense in which children of God is used in the Bible is the way that we take on a family likeness. Uh, My wife and I were talking the other day. I I guess we were doing a devotional or something that was asking us, uh, you know, what what things do you see in yourself and your parents that you want to uh, keep going, you know? Uh, These good attitudes, good things that they they built into you, and what things do you want to change, you know? And uh, it it was interesting um, thinking that through of how many— of the, the good things that, that, you know, at least in a worldly sense, the good things, um, you know, maybe a hard work ethic and things, you know, have been passed down from our parents. Uh, but then it's kind of sad, on the other hand, <laughs> that the attitudes that we may not like so much about our parents we now see in ourselves. And obviously, with, you know, a child, we want to break the cycle there. But the same should be true with us and God. Because when we trust in Christ, when we, 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 when we do this, we are literally born again as children of God. We should, at that point, take on a family likeness. We should take on attitudes of God. We should take on actions of God. He gives us this light. He makes us to reflect this light in glory. Um, Ephesians 5, 8 says this. It says, for at one time you were darkness. At one time you were darkness. That, that is a, a state of nature. That is at the, at the essence you were darkness. <clears throat> but it says, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Jesus, when he, he came into this world, he brought this glory of God. He brought this light. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him, he gives us that light. He makes us that light. And one of the main purposes of that is that we can reflect his glory. We can reflect his glory the same way the moon has no light in and of itself. It only reflects the light of the sun. We are to reflect the light of god matthew five fourteen through sixteen Jesus says, "You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way, let your light shine before others." so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God has made you, if you've trusted in Jesus, God has made you his child, yes, for an inheritance, but also to take on a family likeness. He has changed you from the inside out and the new fruit that should be on you is that of the glory of God, that of things that glorify Him. I I think about some of the most striking people I've ever met in my life. And I've I've met, you know, some famous people along the way. I've met some people that, you know, were, were pro this or that. But the most striking people I have ever met in my life were those who were godly and most reflected the glory of God. And those people truly made me want more of that God. There are people that have seen the glory of God. They've seen this humility, this sacrifice of God, this love uh, appeasing the justice of God. They see this glory and they are so changed by it that that their lives and their actions reflect that glory. They now serve others. They now don't look for, for praise and applause from men. They're, they're content to walk in humility the same way their God walked in humility when he came on this earth. I had a lot of verses in my um, former versions of this sermon talking about if you say that you have the light but you hate your brother, you're a liar. The light is not in you. First John is where all those are found. It talks a lot about this darkness. You're still walking in darkness if you are hating other people. Why? Because you show that you do not have that family likeness in you. You are more worried about how, how people think of you right now, about getting your way right now, than loving others. But we are to reflect his glory. You think about the way uh, husbands reflect the glory of God, right? Husbands Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, that's just one example, but that is meant to show the world the glory of God. This is, I'm not now telling you, hey, try, try to have some light in you. I'm telling you, if you are a Christian, you are light Walk as children of the light. That's, that's, I'm quoting uh, Ephesians 5, 8, 11 right there. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. We need God for this, but this is who we are. If we've trusted in Christ, we should reflect this glory because this is one of the main reasons Jesus came into this world was to reveal the glory of God. He's the light of the world revealing the glory of God. We saw first that he dashes away our understandings of of godliness. It's not just this outward form. It's this this inward change, this inward dependence on God, inward trust and reliance and assurance in God and his promises. That is true godliness and that allows us to serve others rather than to be served. We have that example of Jesus living that way. We see the glory of God in the character of Jesus, his love, his humility, all demonstrated, especially as it coalesces with the justice of God. We see the sovereign providence of God that he came into this world with with, with no beauty in and of himself. No, No one was lifting him on their shoulders to make him king when they, when they heard that he wanted to suffer and die. They wanted to do that when he's doing these miracles. Once, once they learn, no, no, I'm here to, to, to suffer. They, they didn't want him. And they crucify him. But really that was a part of God's plan. And we saw in Ephesians 1 that was to the praise of the, glo- of the glory of God's grace. And all of that can and will and does make us into that light to reflect his glory. We live in a dark world. We do. I I hope I don't have to convince you of that too much. Hallie and I bringing up a little Nora and a little next child. I could tell you the name right now, but I'm not gonna. um, Bringing up, I mean, it is terrifying, this world that we're bringing our children in. But you know what? It's all right. God's got it under control. He is sovereign and he has given us a responsibility to shine that light that the world so desperately needs. We do not have it in and of ourselves. But we reflect this glory that comes from God. I hope you see that. That as we celebrate Christmas this year, we're celebrating this, this, this greater magnitude of God's glory being revealed to us. I am thankful that my Bible does not end right there, (laughs) right? I get to see the glory of God from Matthew to Revelation in a way that they had never seen before. This this is a, a beautiful thing that we get to celebrate the glory of God put on display in the person of Jesus Christ who took on flesh. So my question for you today is, Have you seen this glory? If you have not seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you are not yet saved. It it may not be surprising that you're not walking in the light or walking as a child of the light because maybe you haven't seen the glory of God. I'm telling you guys, the the biggest thing that changed for me um, in my life when God really grabbed a hold of my heart was seeing how amazing God was. That he's not just a ruler. He's not just a king. He is glorious. He is awesome. He is majestic. Do you see that majesty? Do you see that glory in the face of Jesus? If you have, I hope you have. I hope you've trusted in that Jesus. Are you enjoying that glory? Are you enjoying that glory? Please, Don't let this light be shining, this this glory of Jesus be shining and and, and just stay with our heads pointed down to the ground, focused on earthly things rather than the heavenly things where Christ is seated, Colossians says. We need to enjoy this glorious God. This, This is for our good. This is the most enjoyable thing possible. And finally, are you reflecting and spreading this glory. Is, is God's glorious grace being praised because of your life? Because it so reflects the glory of God. This is what we've been made to do. This is the the wonderful responsibility that we have been given that is entirely empowered by God. But we still have to walk as children of the light. I'm thankful today that I get to see this God of glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.